Hi friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Tie the Binds podcast with me, your host, Ty. Got something a little bit different today. Today we have a conversation with an old friend of mine, Jordan Smith. I haven't spoken to Jordan in probably 15 years, but we uh, we hooked up recently and uh, had a conversation about his second career as a flagman in the stock car industry. Jordan's going to tell us his unique path on how we got into stock car flagging and uh, tell us some stories along the way. So join us and have a listen and get acquainted with an old friend of mine, Jordan. Jordan. How Welcome. You? Thank you for coming. This is uh, let's uh, let's have a chat about stock car racing and being a flag man, and uh, yeah, let's uh, shoot the shit about this. What's going on? Oh, not much. It's been a long winter so far. Just uh, we're about we're actually exactly ninety days from the start of the Oscar season. I'm just looking forward to that right now. So Oscar, this is uh, a league. This is uh, a circuit of sorts. Yes, it's the Ontario Stock Car Association of asphalt racing so that's oscar for short uh, it's been around since 1990 so it's 33 years strong uh travel around ontario to the different uh, tracks in the area uh we even make a stop at the dirt track in brighton with the hot rods yeah it's uh some of the best racing in ontario so you were telling me before we got together today that you're a flag man for the Oscar circuit. Yeah, just this year I'm going to start full-time as the chief starter for the Oscar racing series. Uh, had an opportunity last year uh, to have a trial run with the series for the last four races, and uh, they liked the work I did, so they asked me to come aboard this year for the full season. I'm, I'm quite excited about it. So let's talk about that. How do you? How does this actually happen? How do you? How do you actually become a flag man? Because in my opinion, it seems like being a flag man, it's it's one of those jobs you don't even really think even exists. You just kind of assume that the job gets done, but somebody has to be doing it, right? It's similar to like a baseball umpire or a hockey ref. Just nobody really thinks about these things, but somebody has to be doing them. Right. You show up at the track and you you show up to watch a race and. Generally, you're not paying much attention to the flagman unless he's dropping the green or the checkered. Um, other than that, you're there to watch the cars. But there is a whole host of officials at an event that help to put on the event, keep it running smoothly, and uh, inform you as to what's going on throughout the race. I, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a story how I got into it. Um, it starts when I was a kid. Uh, my parents took me to the old Mosport Oval. Uh, it's now Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, and they don't have the oval anymore. They tore it down and put up a uh, driver experience track, so they could, uh, sorry, so they could uh, train drivers on how to drive on a road course. But there used to be a half mile oval there, and I remember probably maybe three or four years old. My parents brought me to the track, and cars were loud, and I was a little scared. And to distract me from the sound, my parents pointed out the flagman. Well, look at him. What's he doing? And uh, I was hooked. So we continued going to the racetrack, and uh, I would always watch the flagman. Then there came a time in the mid-'90s that my dad decided he wanted to race. So he built a Thunder car, and which is now a, like a super stock today or a street stock. And uh, we went to the track every weekend. And uh, I was still, I was there every weekend. I was still watching that flagman. 
And uh, my dad could see my interest, and uh, he went out and made me a set of flags that was exactly like the the set they had in the in the stand. And uh, so I would go every weekend on a Saturday. My dad would race, and I would be there, and I would copy the flagman. So he would throw the green flag, I'd throw the green flag. If he was shaking a flag at somebody, I would do that. I would just copy everything he was doing and watch and pay attention and try and learn as I was going. And this is probably 94, 95. I'm maybe eight, seven years old. So over the time, uh, we developed a relationship with the the two flagmen. The starter was a gentleman by the name of Mike Sherest, and the assistant starter was uh, Bob Finnegan. And they, I would go and talk to them, and they always gave me their time. They always gave me uh, a lot of energy. They were always happy to see me, answer questions. They uh, made me feel like part of the team. And uh, it would get to the point where I would even have drivers approach me and say, dude, it's easier to see you standing on the grass as we come out of turn four than to look up at the starter stand and see what they're doing. So make sure you're doing what the flagman's doing because some of us are watching you. So that gave me a little sense of like, a little sense of importance, right? Like these guys are actually watching me. So I wanted to pay attention and learn more. So this, so this is, they were watching you because you were just in a really good spot. Yeah. Like just where they thought you should be, that's where you were. Well, the starter stand is about halfway down the front stretch and I was probably about 50 feet to the left of it or towards turn four rather than turn one. So as they're coming out of the corner, it's in their line of vision to see me as they're coming out of the corner rather than breaking their line of vision and looking up at the starter stand. So I thought that was that was interesting. So, and this was at Mossport, the oval track at Mossport? No, uh, my dad started racing at Peterborough Speedway. That's what I consider personally my home track. That's where I've been going since I was a kid. Uh, Mossport was the first experience I remember where the, my parents pointed out the flagmen and I noticed them. But Peterborough was where we would go every Saturday night. Uh, it's a one-third mile banked oval, short track. Just great racing every weekend. Um yeah, but that's Peterborough was where this all happened. Um, so it it was maybe two years, two years I was doing this, and uh, I was even presented with uh, one of the official shirts. They made me a small little official shirt, put my name on it, so that even standing down on the grass, it looked like I was pretty professional. I got some pictures of it uh, on my Facebook. That's so cool that this... Uh this group of individuals just kind of accepted you as one of their own at such a young age. I would have to imagine they kind of got more of a kick out of it than anything. I'm sure, uh, and I can remember times where where Bob would try and fake me out. He knew I'd be watching him, and he would go to throw the green and then not throw it and look at me, and I'm waving it, and he'd be like, I got ya. I can remember little things like that. Um, like, they always, they were really good. and I, Like I said, that I felt... Like, I was part of the team, and uh, that really meant a lot to me as a kid. I would have to think the, the flagman group, it's almost like a brother, and I would think, right? Like, probably more like a, a, a close-knit group of people, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's like a family, because to do racing, you, you have to give up a lot of time. And uh, 
it's time with your family and and time with your kids if you have any um i have to thank my wife of course for uh being gracious enough to allow me to go and do what I love because she gives up a lot of time with me and so do all the other wives and husbands and people that are involved in racing. Uh, a lot of times you're not doing this for very much money. Sometimes you're not doing it for any money. You're doing it because you love it and because you want to put on a show. So you say this summer you're going to be the chief flagman for this Oscar series? Yes, uh, I will be the, the chief starter. Uh Usually, I'm the only one in the flag stand. I don't very often have an assistant, so that's that's what I've worked my way up to. So, what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to travel with them as they as the circuit goes from track to track, week to week? You'll you'll be with them. Yes, um, they, we go to several different tracks across Ontario, and as the schedule moves across the tracks in Ontario, I, w- I will be moving with them, so that they can have a steady. Uh, constant in the flag stand so that they know what to expect from the flagman because it's difficult when when you're a traveling series and all different flagmen have different styles and different ways they do things and you want to try and keep a constant and that's the drivers have asked for that and uh oscar is going to provide so that's super cool um so these are these are friday practices saturday races i guess no we'll do it all in one day unless we have uh we have one show in july it's a double header so we'll do a full show saturday and a full show sunday but other than that you show up practice qualify and race all on the same day so i kind of want to talk about uh how do you actually become a flag man it sounds like one of those jobs you don't even really consider but how do you actually do this so to carry on with my story i had about four or five years where i did the the flagman as a kid and then uh, my dad quit racing. We didn't go back for a little while. Then we went back. It was near my 15th or 16th birthday, and uh, my dad approached the the owner of Peterborough Speedway, who was a former race car driver, and actually remembered me. He still races today, but uh, he actually remembered me from when I was flagging when I was a kid. And uh, as a, a late birthday present, he asked the owner if I could uh, wave the green flag for the start of a feature race uh, it was mini stocks but i was still pumped uh i dropped the green flag i was sh- it was quite an experience to be up in that flag stand and uh and drop the green flag for a feature at 15 years old and so uh when we were done i walked right up into his office and said so how do i how do i do this let's i want to do this how, where do i start he said well you're a little too young to be working on the track legally, so we'll start you where you can start. And I started pumping gas. I pumped gas into gas canisters the guys put in their race cars. And uh, then I worked lineups. I worked on, and then I was finally allowed to work on the, the track. I worked on the cleanup crew. So going in the cleanup truck, somebody spills oil on the track, you go put Speedy Dry down or car crashes, you go help pick up the pieces and hook it up to the tow truck. So this to me sounds like a uh, like a rite of passage type uh, initiation. You just don't just jump into the flag booth with with whatever skill you've got and think you can do it. You almost it's almost like an apprenticeship of sorts. You kind of pay your lumps as you go through. You have to you have to you have to know what you're doing because it's not just all about waving the colored flags. It's there's a lot more to it than that. So I I worked my way up. Uh, 
after the cleanup truck, I worked on the back stretch as a, a corner flagman, and then I worked in turn one as a corner flagman, and then I got the opportunity to be the assistant starter. So the the man that was the assistant starter when I was a kid, Bob Finnegan, was the starter at the time, and he took me under his wing, taught me everything he knows. I uh, I owe I owe a lot of my knowledge to him because he ha- took the time. He had the trust in me, and uh, he had faith in me that I could do the job, and he showed me, he's still showing me stuff to this day. He still pulls me to the side, and he'll give me a, a word of advice, and I always take it with, uh, like, take it to heart because he's got a lot of experience, and uh, he's never steered me wrong yet. Um, so I was I was the assistant to Bob for a couple years, and then uh, I had to... I had to get a real job because I started a family. So I was not available on Saturdays for several years. And then last year, I went back to Peterborough Speedway and uh, as a corner flagman and assistant starter sometimes. And uh, I was noticed by the president of Oscar, Dave Gainforth, a good friend of mine now. And uh, he asked me, he said, do you want to do you want to do the flagman job for our series? And I said, uh, yes, I would love to do that. And uh, again, I had a, a, a short trial period. I had somebody with more experience than me that was behind me just to make sure I know what I'm doing. Because in my opinion and in a lot of the driver's opinions and everybody else's, I, I've got these driver's lives in my hands. If somebody crashes and I don't click that yellow light or throw the flag, they're all going to pile into each other and somebody could get hurt. It's it's a lot if you have a lot more responsibility than just to wave the white flag at the right time, it's, you have these guys' lives in your hands. So there really is a lot more to this than just checkered flag, white flag, green flag. You know that the, what you just said there about having their lives in your hand—that's something that really never really occurred to me, actually. But now that you're talking about it, you're right. Everyone's looking at you, and whatever you say goes. Is that a fair a fair uh, statement? So there's lots of officials. There's officials in the tower, and there's officials in the corners, and there's lots of eyes watching the track, but there's only one button for the caution lights, and that's at my fingertips. And if I am not paying attention, not aware, not listening, not watching, then if I don't hit that light and cars pile into each other, that's my fault. And I don't want to be responsible for A, the destruction of property, B, any injuries or see a problem with the race that shouldn't have happened because of the flagman. So I would imagine you would err on the side of the caution more often than not. If something doesn't seem right, is that a trigger to do something, either hit the caution or tell the guys to slow down until you can kind of figure it out or like, you know what I mean? If I, if I or anyone else notices any sort of, obstruction a car spun out piece of debris fluid on the track they call it in and we will definitely err on the side of caution and make sure the track is clear before we let them race so motorsports i would think is inherently quite safe it appears to be dangerous things are loud things are fast you know what i mean you're 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 inches from bumper to bumper i don't know how fast these guys are going but you know they got to be well over 100 kilometers an hour I would think, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I imagine the safety protocols are ironclad, likely. You know what I mean? It's, 
racing is an inherently dangerous sport, no matter how safe it looks. Um, it, the safety's come a long way. If you look at the cars that used to run in the 60s and 70s, and these guys are wearing jean jackets and loafers and a hat, um, it's come a long way. Uh, there's far more safety involved now than there's ever been, and uh, safety is always the number one priority. So is there some sort of graduated progress to get to where you are? Like, obviously, you, you would have to do training courses, uh, safety courses. The reason why you go through the the experience and starting at the bottom of the ladder and working your way up is that is your training course, is, is to watch and learn as it happens. Because there's no real – you can talk about what might happen, but there's – there's no real experience other than being in a real race scenario. You could ask a driver anytime what they've done in practice and why didn't it translate to the race? And that's because the race scenario is always very different. You could practice things a hundred times and something will happen in the race that you've never seen before. So it's, it's being around it, watching it, learning it and, uh, and just absorbing what you can. So I'm going to call this an apprenticeship then. You start at the bottom, you take your lumps, do the dirty jobs at the bottom, and then you just eventually progress your way up to the top. Yeah, it's it's it has a lot to do with with trust. And like I said, you've got you've got a lot of money and uh, and drivers' lives in your hands when you've got that many cars going around the track at that speed, and you want to make sure that the person that has the control over that, like, yeah, you need to know about what flags to wave at what time but that's easy the the harder part is determining whether when you threw the green flag was the first and second cars even do you call that start back there's race procedures and things like that that you need to learn like if the caution comes out after the white do you restart or do you throw a yellow and a checkered at the same time you need to know your race procedures for the different series and it's it's the split second decisions of whether you you throw the white or the caution when a when a wreck happens with two to go like does the leader come to the white or do they come to the caution am i ending this race or am i going to cause a restart did i do the right thing are these rules and procedures um are they unilateral across stock car racing or do certain circuits have different different procedures and and different ways that they would expect you to react generally uh, so if you go to the different short tracks across Ontario, some of them might have different race procedures, but with our series, when we travel to different tracks, we have the same procedure within our series. So we'll, uh, well, we'll do the same thing every time so that th there's consistency and they'll know what's coming. So what I'm curious of is, um, how do we progress in this? What's what's the route? How do we get to NASCAR from where you are right now? How do you get to the big leagues? Um, probably just more experience, um, just uh, and and getting noticed. It would it would be. I have to do a good job at what I'm doing now, uh, not make any mistakes, and then the right people have to see you, because there's probably. There's how, how many short tracks in Ontario? Lots. I was going to say, if you're asking me, I haven't got the foggiest clue how many there are. There's dozens of them. 
and uh, every one of those short tracks has a flagman and every one of those flagmen probably has aspirations of waving flags at a larger track for a larger series so there's lots of people out there going for one job and it's having the right people see you at the right time maybe knowing the right contact knowing who to call who to talk to because there's probably quite a few people in line before myself so i would have to get in with the right group and uh I feel like being a part of Oscar, which now falls under the United Racing Series banner, um, which is the premier racing series in Ontario, um, is a good way to get noticed. So from here, the next level up would be CASCAR, I imagine? It's not CASCAR anymore. Um, it's the NASCAR Canadian Tire Series. So NASCAR actually bought out CASCAR. So they have their own NASCAR Canada series now, and that's what that is. It's uh, not, uh, pardon me, it's the Pinty series. It's called the NASCAR Pinty series now. And uh, the gentleman that I mentioned in the beginning that was the starter at Peterborough Speedway, uh, Mike Charest, uh, he's been a NASCAR flagman. Uh, Sean Gibbs, uh gentleman that works for the APC series under the United Racing Series banner he's flagged for NASCAR in Canada so there is the opportunity to get there it's just getting noticed and and that opportunity being open so I would have to think just based off the fact that you know these people's names and you know who they are you could theoretically get there someday if you know these people you they know you we could actually do this right Theoretically, um, it, I think I might know some of the right people that know the right people. Um, it's definitely a dream since I was a kid would be to to throw a, a green flag for a NASCAR sanctioned race and, and be the flagman for that. Um, do I hope it happens? Yes. Uh, do I think it's possible? I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. So... I'm wondering um, uh, about advice for anybody looking to get into this stuff. Um, I see even at the the tracks that I went to uh, last year for the last four races with Oscar was uh, there's there's kids in the stands and they've got their own sets of flags and they're doing the same thing I was doing when I was a kid. And I promise you, I got down off that flag stand in Delaware. And I walked up to that kid and I pulled up a picture of me on Facebook when I was eight, nine years old waving flags. And I, lo I looked at that kid and I showed him the picture and I said, that's me 20 years ago. You keep it up. You could be up there one day. That's so cool that you're not the only kid that did that. Yeah, it's there's kids. Every, you, any short track, you, you watch a video on Flow Racing or YouTube, there's always a kid in the stands with uh, with a set of flags. And I think that's awesome because that's... That's the start. That's that's where you start to me is is showing some interest and paying attention. And a lot of these flagmen across the country will they'll talk to you They're You go and approach them and ask them a question. They'll give you the time of day. They did to me. And that's why I how I feel like I got where I am today. So how many races are we got lined up for 2023 for Oscar? It's. 12 and you're and you're doing all 12 of them yes so there's the i flag for the modifieds and the hot rods uh the hot rods have one extra stop this year which is at brighton and that's a dirt track which is a really interesting stop 
for the year. Uh, but other than that, I believe the hot rods, I think, have 13 rounds and the modifieds have 12 because they don't go to Brighton. So your summer's booked up flagging. Yeah. Um, luckily, there's some there's a bit of space in between. Uh, so like our first race is May 27th and then the next race might not be till June 10th. And then there might be three weeks straight where we're at different tracks. And then there might be three weeks off. So it's it's based upon when we could get to the different tracks. So wondering, what's the state of stock car racing in Ontario? Is it is it uh, well attended? Is it a strong following? Uh, high level of competition? I really don't know much about it. Um, I hate to say the C word, but COVID, uh, COVID hit racing pretty hard. Um, but we are on the rebound and some of the, the, I mean, the APC series travels with the most late models. I see it every, any track, the quick, quick super stock series travels with more super stocks than I see at any track. We have easily 20 plus hot rods and modifieds at each, at each race. It, that's a healthy car count for for nowadays i can remember in the 90s there'd be 60 thunder cars at a race there'd be a b main and a c main before you could get to the a main that's not the way it is anymore if you show up and you have 15 or 20 cars in a class that's a that's a good field of cars is it possible it's uh cost prohibitive for the average guy to get into stock car racing and that's maybe part of the reason why it kind of fell off a little bit so I, I remember back in the day, the entry-level class was like uh, you take a Camaro or a Monte Carlo and you throw a roll cage in it, and that was your race car. You could you could make a race car for, for not a whole bunch of money. Now you, you have to buy a racing chassis and put a racing body on it with a racing motor and a racing tranny. That all, that all costs money. Um, there's there's some series like uh, super late models are the fastest full-bodied stock cars in Ontario and they're in my opinion pricing themselves out of existence because the the rules don't there's no uh, cost cutting rules they don't try and keep the costs down they're allowing them to get elaborate with their setups and motor builds like you could spend you could spend seventy thousand dollars on a motor and uh, that's that's a lot of money and not a lot of drivers have access i mean they of course they have access to money or they wouldn't be racing but seventy thousand dollars on a motor if you just blew one up isn't feasible for most people well i think that really goes with just about anything you do if, if you've got the money you can do it if you don't have the money it'll be it's just more hurdles so so i guess a lot of these teams they're all sponsored up as much as they can but for if you're a company and you're sponsoring a racer that you don't get a lot of return on that I wouldn't think so so I would imagine the racers really got to foot the bill for most of this stuff transportation to and from the races you know crew members your fuel oil changes and stuff like that racing is expensive racing is more expensive now than it has been ever uh, things just keep getting more expensive it's it's like a thousand dollars for a set of super stock tires like it's racing is expensive and if you don't have the financial backing or or deep pockets you're not you're not going to be there 
but the attendance is coming around the or well i guess maybe we don't really know yet the season hasn't started obviously hasn't started yet but well i've having traveled around for uh i was at peterborough was my home track and uh it was quite well attended especially if we had a special event um and i mean we were just about sold out for autumn colors classic and in thanksgiving which is like the super bowl of stock car racing in ontario and it the stands were packed and people came and it was cold and they still came out to watch three days of fantastic racing well that's outstanding yeah that's good um i know this isn't really completely related but uh we we get out to shannonville in the summertime whenever we can and and uh, we're not a big racing family, but we really do have a boatload of fun out there. It's all kinds of good fun, harmless fun. You know what I mean? It's It really is a good family outing, I think. Yeah, um, I saw a meme on Facebook, and uh, it was it's a kid standing at a fence at a racetrack, and it said, memories weren't made playing video games. They were made at the racetrack. And that's some of the best memories I have from when I was a kid uh, was from the racetrack. Um Shannonville's a, a neat little facility. They, I've never been there, but I know they do drag racing and they do some drift stuff out there, right? Yeah. So anytime I've ever been, it's uh, usually because my cousin, my my cousin Jacob, is quite heavily involved in the drifting scene here. Well, actually, <laughs> like almost international. He's he's really making his name in the marketing side of things. But uh, for a few summers, he was hauling cars out there, so we would go, and it's just all kinds of fun. But yeah, they do they do the drags. The I think they have an eighth mile track or an eighth mile drag. They do the drifting and uh a new guy or a new guy uh bought that track a few years ago and put a lot of money into it. I think his name's John. So they've done a, a real serious facelift, which is which is really good. That's yeah, that's it's some of the, the tracks that's uh would be some of their something they could do to uh, encourage people to come out would be a little bit of infrastructure and again it is it's expensive to run a racetrack um you have the liability insurance alone is probably a very difficult bill to pay um so to ask these people who are footing the bill for the, the track the hydro all the employees to to put more money into it when you're maybe not getting the return on your investment yet is difficult, but if you want people to show up, you have to have nice seats, you have to have nice facilities, you have to have somewhere for them to go to the bathroom that's decent, and and that will get people to come back. That's tricky though, right? So you you, as far as I'm concerned, you nailed the nailed it on the head. Uh, the infrastructure, but that's a hard metric to to measure by. If if your if your stadium or or seating uh, grandstands, you do an upgrade, it doesn't necessarily translate into people there. But while they're there, they're happy that you've done the renovations and you're providing a good, a good fan experience. But it's hard to measure that. So I would imagine a lot of these people, they're hesitant to pull the trigger on an expensive renovation because you don't know if you're going to see that return or not. But, but uh, I know I know what you mean though, right? The insurance must be millions, I would think. It's got to be out. I have I have no idea, but it's got to be outrageous. The, what I can imagine the liability insurance at a racetrack is for what you have going on there. Uh, like most of the time, I'm, I'm going to say 100 percent of the time, we can't we can't race unless there is an ambulance and trained personnel on standby at the track, and that that it's got to be expensive in itself. 
but would you really want to race without an ambulance or paramedic on site? Oh, they used to. They used to race with maybe like a first aider and, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And so they maybe didn't even have walls on the outside of the track or maybe they weren't fences. It's, like I said, it's come a long, long way from where it used to be. Well, I mean, in this day and age, though, personal safety is, I mean, it trumps it all. You'll see that in your professional life where you go to work. I mean, it just safety safety's where it's at. You just have to, you have to be safe and everyone has to go home. It's got to be the number one priority. I mean, nobody wants to show up to the racetrack and watch somebody get hurt. Everybody would love to see a crash. It's generally a lot of fans enjoy to see a crash, but uh, I usually, I don't think anybody wants to see anybody get hurt. No, definitely not. Nobody, nobody wants to see that. So what else you got for me? What else do you want to hear? I don't know. Tell me. Have you ever considered getting into racing? Like, I know you're in racing, but have you ever considered buying a car and getting into it? Or, or is flagging really your passion and what you want to do? Well, of course, when, when I was younger, I always saw myself driving a race car, but, uh, the finances never really came together for that. I would have loved to, uh, when my dad quit racing, maybe take over his car, but, uh, but I'm pretty sure we quit because of finances, so I don't think that would have been feasible. Um, I, I don't see it as an op- I'm getting older now, and uh, I don't see it as, as much of an option to be a driver. Um, I should have been gaining experience over the last 20 years, but uh, the opportunity never uh, showed itself, and I was never able to get behind the wheel. Uh, as much as I wanted to, I've done s- a, s- a couple Enduros, I've driven Derby cars, but never anything in a real race car. Yeah, I know. So so we talked about Shannonville a little bit ago, and uh, the very first time I took my wife and kids to a drifting event, we spent the whole time trying to figure out how can we buy a BMW, weld up the rear diff and get into it. Yeah, that's it's that looks like a lot of fun, that does. We, we never did get into it. I mean, we, we go and watch it, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was addicting. That's for sure. We uh, we seriously pondered how do we get into this. Yeah, I uh, I bring my youngest son, uh, Edward, to the track. He's five, and uh, he sees these junior late models, which is like a a little. It's like a one third scale of a late model, and it's got like a go kart body and a go kart chassis, and then you put like a stock car body, mini stock car body over top of it. Yeah, he's just been bugging me all winter. Well, Daddy, buy me a junior late model. Is there a way you could just get him in one? Just even, I, I, I don't know, but can you get him in one just, just to maybe scratch that itch for him? I know, I know some people who they own cars for their kids. Um, I'm sure if I asked politely and maybe paid a little bit of money, I'd be able to get him a, a ride in a car. I would just be afraid of... Uh, of the bill if there was any sort of incident that's fair yeah that's fair i mean of course i'd I'd love to get him in it and try it but should he uh in his first attempt maybe spin out and hit a wall i wouldn't have to want to replace any parts just going back to what we said a few minutes ago it's cost prohibitive to get into it right if i could if i could it's about five thousand bucks to buy a junior late model turnkey motor chassis rolling and then you need all your safety stuff, so I'd have to buy him a helmet and the fire suit and gloves and boots and fireproof underwear and the whole bit. 
So you're looking at probably about $7,000 to take your first lap. So then maybe maybe we don't do that. You don't do that, and maybe just get uh, get the boys into flagging like you if, <laughs> if they've got the itch to do it. Yeah, I gladly will uh, teach them everything I know, and uh, we'll bring them to the track, and they can watch. And my middle child seems interested, and he traveled with me most weekends to Peterborough Speedway last year, Keegan, and uh, he seemed to enjoy himself. Well, that's fantastic. It's a family event. I like that. Yeah, I I have there's a couple tracks I actually haven't been to that we're going to this year. Uh, one of them's in Sobble Beach, so I'm hoping to bring the whole family up for that one. Where's that? It's uh, a little it's a town called Sobble Beach. It's north west of here quite a bit. It's a 3 or 4 hour drive. So uh are you going to take the family, I guess? Why I not? Thi- I think so. Uh got to take the, the there's a w- one of those pictures you can take like it's welcome to the beach and it has the beach in the background we got to take that picture (laughs) yeah absolutely why not right the summer goes by so fast and uh you just gotta just seize it right just get out there and just enjoy it yeah the summer does fly by because uh, when you're you're working full time and then on the weekends you're busy with racing it seems like there's there's no time but it's a labor of love though right that's right it's i do it because i love it and because I would hate to not be involved with it in some way. Um, I've been around racing my whole life, grew up around it, and uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that I can be a part of the show. Well, that's fantastic. Um, any other stories or uh, tidbits of information before we wrap this up? Nothing particularly I can think of off the top of my head. All right. Well, there you go. Now we know about being a flag man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is fantastic. Um, I, I would be interested in going out to Brighton and checking that out. I haven't been to Brighton Speedway since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. I'll, I'll bring you out to a race this year. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to get out there and check it out. It was so close. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I follow them on social media. It looks like a boatload of fun. You know, yeah. every, they do the, the bus races and, uh. Yeah, it looks like fun. Yeah, it's uh, they have a, a nice facility there. Uh, been there a couple times, not not working, but I've been there as a fan a couple times, and uh, it's uh, they they do all right there. All right, well, let's stay in touch. We'll meet up in Brighton at the Speedway, and uh, yeah, I want to thank you, Jordan. This has been fantastic. Well, we uh, we used to hang out back in the day, but we kind of lost touch. But but this is this is fantastic. Yeah, it's like hanging out with an old brother. Years and years ago, we have some shenanigans in Hastings, but (laughs) we'll leave that out. (laughs) That's for another day. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, yeah, when uh, when I go to post this, I'll let you know, and you can tell your friends and family, and if you've got any fans, you can direct them to to this episode, and and, uh, we'll elevate your status to a bit of a local celebrity, perhaps. (laughs) I don't know about that, but uh, I'll definitely be sharing it for anybody that wants to listen. All right. Thanks, Jordan. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, Ty.